You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. I am Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman and Kyle Newbeck. We are on the eve of the Sixers season. We had a nice little prediction podcast planned for today that we could look back on six months from now and laugh at. And then Embiid came out and declared everything is bullshit, which we'll get to in a second. Real quick, subscribe to the podcast if you can, especially on iTunes, and leave us a five-star rating. Uh, you can get links to other services over at SixersBeat.com. Also, check out the CLNS Media app, uh, where you can find ourselves, B-Ball Breakdown, Real Gym Radio, and Sam Vecini's Game Theory Podcast. You know, I guess let's just get right into it. And I won't even ask guys how you're doing because, quite frankly, I don't care. And also because I've I've been around <laughs> you guys for the last hour. But, you know, yesterday they came out and Brett Brown said, you know, we're probably going to play Embiid somewhere in the teens. And he didn't have a specific number, but somewhere in the teens. Embiid said that he hoped that after Monday's practice and today's Tuesday's practice, that that would be reevaluated. It looks like it's not. And then Embiid came out and called minute restrictions bullshit. Do we have a real legitimate problem on our hands here? I don't think it's a problem, but I was definitely really surprised that he came out that forcefully. You L- could let me let me let me back that up a little bit. Do we have maybe the beginnings of a problem? Like the, the the I mean, I could buy that. I mean, if you don't come out and say something's effing bullshit without it being, and he said it like the actual f bomb. Um, you don't come out and say that if you're like you're just going to work through it. You're very calm about this. This is very much a thing that is at the forefront of, of Embiid's mind, and rightfully so. I mean, Rich was here yesterday, and after Brett dropped the the teens comment during his availability, it was brought up to Joel at his, and you could tell that Joel was caught off guard by the whole thing. That he wasn't really prepared to hear that yet or maybe just the team hadn't spoken to him about it formally and I think that's part of the anger here is that he wasn't really prepared for this low of a minutes total he was expecting he feels better than that and he feels like the way his body feels warrants a certain amount of minutes and so I I get it like I get the frustration maybe there are ways to be more diplomatic about it but you guys know as well as maybe you guys know as well as anybody I'm not very diplomatic when I'm angry about something, so no, you are I, I, don't, not. I don't have uh, any leg to stand on judging him for lashing out like this. I guess the bright side is that his body, he feels well, he feels really good physically. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, he was, he was out to make a point today. I, I know he had a, he's got cornrows in the day and usually that'd be something he'd joke about or talk about and, you know, he's the best with. Twitter beefs and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, he clearly, I think I remember when he was walking over, somebody asked him about that and this was off camera and he was like, I'm pissed. Like, like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not here to, to joke around. Shut today. up about your damn corners. I don't care. Yeah. He, you know, he's like, yeah, my, my hair is whatever, but I, I got a point to make and I'm, I'm pretty pissed off about, uh, how much playing time I'm going to get tomorrow. And, like he made that point. I he was really specific too with the with the limits that he's been given and what the Sixers projected him and what he wanted. 
he thought he was going to play 20 minutes by last Friday in the final preseason game, and he thought he was going to be bumped up to 24 by this game. And, I mean, like, he looked really good in the 14 minutes he got in both of those games. Like, obviously he didn't play as well in the second game, but he looked good and the Sixers played well around him. Yeah, physically there was no problem. He was fouling everybody out. And, yeah, it's gotten to the point where he's become the sports talk radio host where he – is the most frustrated person in the city about <laughs> his minutes restriction. I, I keep hearing the take all the time. It's it's the easiest take in the world. I'm sick of the minutes restrictions. Let's see if he can play. That has become Joe Embiid now. Yeah, and it, it's funny. He You saw this frustration kind of peak out at times last year. You know, obviously the, the Rockets game, the game that was his last game of the season, he admitted that he had to talk them into playing. Uh, there have been various points where he showed kind of like a hint of frustration he always eventually came back to, well, they know what's best for me. I trust them. And then yesterday he had that, you know, kind of caught off guard where, what do you mean teen minutes? This hasn't been discussed with me. And he had a chance to kind of walk that back. And today, rather than walk it back, he, you know, he, 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 he put it down. into another gear. Yeah. So you wonder if now with, you know, Embiid's clearly the face of the franchise. He's got at least a little bit established in terms of quality of play, even if not in quantity of play. And he's got that contract. And you wonder if he's going to be a little more forceful. You know, yesterday, one of the things he said, which now seems tame in comparison, you know, but he came out and he said, you know, they have to listen to me. And the way I interpreted it wasn't so much like they have to do what I say, but they at least have to hear what I have to say. And it just, you know, you wonder how much of this is going to be ramped up now that Embiid's a little more established, has that contract. And, um, you know, it's just sheer time too. He's been doing this now, minutes restrictions for a long time. And you wonder, it does seem like there's finally beginning to show quite a bit of frustration in that regard. Yeah, and he even said that he doesn't think it's not just the amount of minutes that he's playing. It's the fact that he has a minutes restriction at all. Like if it were up to him, it would be a case-by-case, game-by-game thing where the medical staff, the trainers are feeling this out. Like they're watching him play and they see him and it's like, oh, he's fatigued. We need to take him out. He shouldn't play much more rather than they go into a game with, I mean, this is basically the basketball equivalent of a young pitcher that's on a pitch count. And they're just, they're going into a game or a season thinking, this is how we have to approach it. And while I can understand the sentiment from his side that, yeah, you need to react to his body. And there are going to be some games where, yeah, he does feel really good. I don't think you can just go in without a real plan because, I mean, the degree of difficulty of trying to suss that out, how his body feels and what the the impact is going to be on the fly, like that just feels exceedingly difficult for a job that's already pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's an awkward situation. He, he do, do you – okay, here's a question. Do you think – do you think the contract that he signed last week, how much does this, does this play into him being so demonstrative? Do you think there's a, an extra security here that will allow him to speak out like this where he thinks, okay, I don't have to worry about this anymore? Or do you think this is simply just, you know, the restrictions just building up and it being another year and him growing tired of it? Well, even beyond that, do you think it could be, you know, he's got very strict requirements to get that full $176 million. And those are, those are, benchmarks he has to reach this season not next year not at any point over the remainder of his new contract it has to be reached before that new contract starts 
So he has to win MVP or he has to win first team all NBA. And look, while there's some wiggle room in second and third team, you know, the guys you're beating out are the DeAndre Jordans of the world. First team is Anthony Davis. Like he's going to have to have, he's going to have to play 65 games, 70 games probably, which seems really unlikely, but that's where he'd have to get to. And he would have to do that not at 16, 20, 25 minutes a night. He's got to be playing 30 minutes a night if he wants to reach those benchmarks. So on the one hand, I was happy he signed that deal because what I didn't want happening, I think one of the reasons you want to get that done is, you know, if he's sitting here going, okay, look, Sixers are going to offer me a big deal, but in order to get a fully guaranteed deal in free agency next year, I've got to find somebody else willing to offer that. And to do that, I have to prove myself. So I was worried that maybe sitting a game on a back-to-back or a minutes restriction might be a point of contention if he's worried about the contract he'd have to negotiate next summer as a restricted free agent. There's still also a little bit of friction here, or it could be a little bit of friction here. I don't want to say that there is because I don't know what is causing this outburst, but there could be a little bit of restriction in that he wants to see if he can really earn that all-NBA, first-team all-NBA, and that's going to be really tough to do if he's slowly ramping up his minutes. I could sort of buy that, but just judging on what I see out of Joel and his personality. I think the biggest is he's just fed up. I think it's, yeah, I just, I think more of it is just about his competitiveness and his, honestly, his fatigue with just being told you can't do this, you can't do that after dealing with the, the five on five limitations and all sorts of other stuff just this year, let alone the last couple years. So I just I think it's more that stuff. I, I I do think you can't dismiss the extra thirty million dollars that's over top of his head. I mean, people say, "Oh, he's making a lot of money." Thirty million dollars is lot a lot of money to just you, you don't just ignore that, regardless of how much you're currently making. So I'm sure there's truth to both parts of that, but I I would come back to he's just a really competitive guy who wants to go out there and prove that he's one of the best players in the league. When did he start practicing? Two weeks ago? Probably less, right? When he first got in the court. First got in the court or first five on five? First I mean, five first five on five. It was a Thursday it was a Thursday last Thursday of training camp. Well there's only one Thursday of training camp, but it was a Thursday of no, I think Thursday of training camp he was doing four or half court five. It on was five, the night before, and then a week later he was doing full court. So, day before the Boston game, I believe the home yeah. game against Boston. Oh, I'd say like the first week of October. Yeah. So we're less than two weeks away from that. We're about twelve days away. Yeah. And he wants to play thirty minutes. <laughs> so from the Sixers standpoint, like I don't know, I kind of get it. Yeah. It's that's he really wants a rapid progression here and. I, I don't know what, whether it, it would be interesting. Like if the Sixers would, would outline their plans, was their plan all right for the first couple of games? He's going to get sixteen to eighteen, but then we're going to ramp it up to twenty to twenty-two, and then if he keeps going at this pace, by the second month of the season, he's playing twenty-six to thirty minutes a night, because that would make some sense to me. It it, it just seems to me like that the communication level in this organization is so bad, like. Well, remember last year when he missed the remainder of the season, one of his points of contention was, you know, I just wish they would have, and that wasn't even communication between player and team. That was communication between, you know, team and fan base that he got annoyed at. But yeah, communication is a an ongoing issue. I mean, he talks about this medical staff like they're faceless men back there. Yeah. He, like he doesn't know who they are. And it, it it's just, it's just frustrating. And honestly, the... One of the most stunning things, and this is going to get swept under the rug because of his strong comments today, 
the fact that he was surprised about the minutes limit yesterday says, oh, I, I didn't know that. That's that's disappointing. That's pretty inexcusable. You got to you got to keep your guy in the loop. And they're, they're clearly not doing that. Especially because he the, like they know he's going to be asked about that constantly. That's the but it may not be the number. The number one subject is, is he healthy at all? But once he's healthy, it's how much can he play? How much of an impact can he have? That's. That's the question at the forefront of everyone's minds. So to send him into availability with and just knowing that people are going to badger him with questions, it's insane to me. Yeah, they were they were woefully under underprepared in many respects. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out and whether how quickly that minutes restriction gets bumped up because now every time he has a restriction or at least a sizable restriction, you're going to be wondering, well, what what's what are his real thoughts about this? Because before it was always publicly, at least, that he was supportive of it. He understood why it was happening. Now, even if he's being supportive again, you're going to wonder in the back of his head, is he mad at this? We'll see. It is not, you know, the day before the game, I don't think this is a conversation any of, ex- any of us expected to have. Never a dull moment in the NBA. No. I, I was not expecting this. Day one of the today. season and we're already uh, off to the yeah. races. All right, let's move on to the other number one pick, which thing communication seems to be or not the other number one pick because Joel wasn't a number one pick, but the other young player where communication seems to be lacking. You know, Markel Fultz came out again yesterday, and he I think it was yesterday, where he said, Look, the reason I'm shooting like this is because of my shoulder. How bad is like how bad can the shoulder be? If you can't it it's still we and we don't have to go long on this because we talked about it before, but it seemed like First of all, the team didn't really know how bad it was because they kept running him out there at the beginning camp and they kept saying, you know, he's experimenting with his shot. But this shoulder seems like a real issue right now. We said it last week. If your your shoulder is hurt, that is not a satisfactory answer. Then you're not handling it the right way. And I mean, we asked him about it yesterday, too, and it was confusing. Like, on the one hand, he said, look, I'm working through some things and basically... We're working on some behind the scenes things and trying to get my shot better. And I think it's going to work out. But then when he was asked about the shoulder, he said, this is the main reason why it's hurting. And I'm sorry, that's not a good answer. If if your shoulder is hurting you that much, then you should not be playing. And, you know, it seems like he's going to come off the bench and he seems all right with that, even though it's, it's hard to tell with him because... Whether, He's not really an emotional yeah, guy. I, th- I think he could win the NBA championship and be the MVP, and I'm not sure he'd have a smile on his face either. Maybe <laughs> maybe he'd have a little laugh. Maybe the only thing that really makes him happy is uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, the number <laughs> number three meal at Chick-fil-A. Uh, yeah, it, he seems like he's okay with it. But yeah, they're, they're going to bring him off the bench and... You know, it'll be interesting to see, man. Like, I, I, I want to see him shoot some jumpers. I, I will say, like, and this is just... Total speculation. I saw him shooting some free throws yesterday. It looked like he was making a little progress in terms of, not in terms of making it. Oh, he's missing a ton of them. But in terms of like how weird it looked, it, it started to look like it's it's getting better. And I, I would expect there to be a nice progression there at some point. But yeah, like he he is all over the place with his answers. And I, I have no idea exactly why he's shooting that way. Well, and now, you, now you're going to wonder every time he takes a hit driving the lane, too, is that going to re-aggravate the shoulder injury? There's just, it's, you cannot, Sixers cannot have a, a healthy first-round draft pick. It's in the, it's in the new CBA, it's in the bylaws, not going to happen. Um, so I will say one thing about this, because I don't even think I've 
been on the podcast since all this stuff has gone down. I think there is a little too much concern about all this right now because regardless of what the reason is for the change, whether it was he spent the month of August tinkering with it, some of it's the shoulder, whatever the reason is, this is something that was changed in effectively in a month's time because it did not look the jumper and his free throws did not look like this at summer league. They did not look like this last season at Washington. And if it's something that was able to be changed that quickly, I I don't think this is something that people should be like, well, this is just the new normal for Markel Fultz. I think the shoulder injury part of it where he might be more hurt than he's letting on, than the team's letting on, that's a lot more concerning than the actual mechanics of the his free throw and everything else. Like I know his jump shot is critical to not just his individual success, but his ability to blend with the talent they have, particularly Ben Simmons. I just think that's something that's correctable based on just the, the raw timeline that we're looking at here. If he damages his shoulder because he's playing when he shouldn't, that is a much bigger problem, and that needs to be figured out. I don't know what sort of evaluations they're doing on him if they've had him see anybody seriously about it, but that's priority number one. It's just tough to say because we haven't gotten really a straight answer on any of this. Remember the first two times he talked about it? He says, no, I'm just just playing around. I'm just trying some stuff out. It'll be good to go for the start of the season. No mention of the shoulder. So I have no idea what's legitimate. I have no idea what's serious. I have no idea what the shoulder injury is. Like, it's just we're going on so little information. But and b- by the way, too, like the, when he said that, it's not like he's a baseball pitcher working on a curveball or something like yeah, that. Yeah, should like, be working on the shot that you're going to you shoot. You have one shot. Weeks. There's not a. There's no. There's no element of deception in the mechanics of your <laughs> shot. Like it, it doesn't work that way. And yeah, I the, the other thing too that I mean, like even more than the shoulder too, like it does seem like this guy has been nicked up the whole time since he's been here, and obviously he missed some time at the end of Washington. Like, look, I. You know, this is a small sample size and we have to see more, but he has been injury prone in this amount of time so far. Hopefully he's not a guy that just has little nicks the the whole time, you know, throughout his career that kind of hampers him here. Yeah, I remember doing a radio spot last maybe March and they're like, well, you know, who's a presumptive number one pick? I'm like, oh, he's a really good guard. He can shoot. He can create off the dribble. And oh, by the way, he's out because he has a bad knee. And like the groan in from the the host was what you would expect and it's you know at that point i didn't expect that to linger to now but now he's also missing time with a sore knee so who knows what's going on again it, it wouldn't be a sixers first round pick if he was completely healthy and ready to go day one i do now where i mean right now and we're gonna get into this a little bit later i have zero idea of what to expect from markel fultz to start the season and I have no idea how long it's going to take him to get back up to speed to where he looks like the guy that he looked like last year at Washington. And we just have, there's almost no information to go off of. And that was Brett Brown's entire point when he first said he was going to bring him off the bench was that there's just not much there for us to really work with. I mean, Ben Simmons, he, he still wants you to jumper, but he's the guy. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I got He's the guy who's just, everything's smooth with him right now. Except the jumper and the but, free throws, yeah. which are connected to the jumper, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, they might be cursed for the first year. <laughs> like you said, the CBA thing. I, I don't know if it's the uh, 
if there are basketball gods, they're uh, they're punishing the first. There's a first year toll that the Sixers have to pay. But it's just crazy that they can't have one guy come in here. And I'm not even asking like you don't even have to play great. Like you don't need a year like Embiid had last year, but just have a normal, smooth rookie year with normal rookie problems. It just it doesn't seem like that's possible. Nope. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to our favorite podcast of this season, predictions. Predictions that will inevitably look ridiculous in just a few short weeks' time. But before we do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Harry's. If there's one thing I know about, it's shaving. I have a 5 o'clock shadow by noon, yet I absolutely despise shaving. In fact, the very reason I grew a beard in the first place wasn't for looks. Because let's be honest, I know what I'm working with here, and I'm realistically choosing between two subpar options anyway. But instead, a decision made based off of convenience— I hate shaving so much that having a beard is a matter of convenience. That all changed when I switched to Harry's earlier this year. Typically in the past, I had to choose between one of two options, quality razors or an affordable price. That's not the case with Harry's. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up buying overpriced razors. So they bought their own German factory with over 100 years of blade making experience to provide you with the highest quality blades, all of which are backed by a 100% quality guarantee and come in at half the price of competitors. When you buy blades from the grocery store, you're paying for aspects outside of the quality of the blade, such as advertising costs and markup for middlemen. That's not the case with Harry's as they sell directly to you, the customers, over the internet, allowing you to pay for quality blades at a fraction of the typical cost. Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades, they'll give you a free trial set when you sign up at harrys.com slash sixersbeat. You just pay for shipping. That's a free trial set valued at $13 when you sign up. The set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, Rich, not normal, but rich, lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. To redeem your tr- free trial set, go to harrys.com slash Sixersbeat right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash Sixersbeat. All right, let's get on with the initial intent of the podcast, which is our preseason predictions. You know, I ended up cutting this short a little bit because I knew we had 20 minutes of ranting and worrying to do beforehand based on today's news. Rather than doing over-unders, since I'm, I'm really bad at setting lines, we'll just do straight guesses. We'll start this off with the one on everyone's mind, which is win total. What do you think is a realistic, a realistic outcome for win total this year? So, I'm going to choose a middle ground here, which is, I guess, where uh, it's a compromise answer. I'm going to go with 39 wins. And I think the realistically, they will probably end up either much higher or much lower than that because I think the season could go one of two ways. I think Embiid plays a reasonable amount of games, is the player that we all know that he can be, and they end up pushing not just for a playoff spot but for a, a middle seed in the East. So let's say somewhere from four to six. I think that's on the table. I also think Embiid suffering an injury, missing a lot of the year, and then you're left with two rookie playmakers, uh, much worse big man rotation, and not a lot to, I guess, build the team around for the time being. So I'm going to split the difference and say 39. I think that still has them in the hunt for the playoffs, especially with how bad the East is going to be. I'm going to say that actually still gets them into the playoffs. But if I were going with my heart, I would say they win more than that. I'm just 
playing it safe here. I'll go. I I thought your rationale is pretty much what I have. Um, for me, look, there's a lot of variables here, and especially with their long term trajectory. You know, JoJo's got to stay healthy. Ben's got to develop a jumper. Markel's got to figure out the NBA and what whatever's happening with him. If all of those things stay relatively on track, to me, next year is the year you're going to see the big jump in wins. There, it's just young guys. They need to somewhat take their their lumps going through the NBA. It's hard now. Like, look, Redick is really going to help this year. Like. The one thing I'll say is in those last couple of preseason games convinced me of this. They are not finishing close to 30th in offense this year. I mean, not close, but like they, they will not be the worst offense. They will, team yeah, they'll be much better there. Um, they will have games where they score 120 points and, and it won't be like a, a random game that happens once every, you know, like it, it'll happen on purpose. But yeah, it's just like Ben is going to have trouble with people running pick and rolls. Like they're, they're going to force him to shoot jumpers and he's going to have nights where he scores six points on three of 13 shooting like that. That's going to happen. Markel is going to have nights where he's going to look to overmatch. I think obviously Jojo's health is the biggest thing that is looming over this team. Because like, look, if he plays 60 games and, and that's just a, a rough number, I would be surprised if they finished under 500. He is that damn good. But, but I mean, God, I, what did we talk about the first 20 minutes here? I mean, there's just always something going on. So I will pick a middle ground and say 37 and 45. They make the AC in the East Conference, the dog shit Eastern Conference. <laughs> they get in. But the thing I really want to emphasize here is since the Sixers started, there has never been a higher range of wins and losses yeah. that they could realistically get. I'm prepared for like 46 or 47 if everything goes right. But man, if he gets healthy early on, like this could be like thirty. It, it really could. You mean injured early on? Yeah. You said if he gets healthy early on, which that would not be a that would not drop the win total. I had you know I wrote a predictions column today, which again is fun because I know in four months I'm going to look at it and wonder how I possibly have a job talking about sports. Um, but I had fifty-seven games for JoJo and forty-two wins. And I don't know why I'm feeling like I'd love to say I'm feeling optimistic because of this information or that information. Really, it's all about Joel's health. Like when I had him at 37, 38, 39, because I saw Joel playing maybe 50 games. But if he plays 57, then I, I'm I'm bumping that up. And also because of what Rich said, the dog shit Eastern Conference. Every time I look at those rosters of Chicago and Indiana and even still. Even still Brooklyn, which now looks like the fun little team, but they're still an awful team. Schedule makers screwed him a little bit. Zach Lowe had that tidbit in his column that if you look at all the teams in the East that they the play three they play times, three, yeah. they're all the crappy ones that you just mentioned. Um, but still. But there are wins out there. But like you guys said, there's such a wide range that it, it could be 46, it could be 30, and neither one would surprise me at all. It's, it's, a, it's a strange strange team construction with a, a lot of variables going in. All right, so we kind of touched on it. We all three, I guess, then believe that they will make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, by default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think part, a big part of that is just the East is, sure, is the eight seed really East bad. Could be 36, 37 wins. Yeah. It, um, and that's what I mean. That's why, though, also that a middle tier seed is on the table. Like that, this conference is beyond Cleveland and Boston. And, and like Boston, I'll deal with some, they'll, 
they'll initially take a step back because they got to integrate some new pieces. Well, Cleveland too, because they got Thomas right. out for yeah. so long. So, I mean, there will be some, but those will generally be the top teams. Washington will probably be right behind them. Maybe Toronto if Lowry doesn't get hit by uh, age a little bit more. And then after that, it's it's a free-for-all in that conference. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Washington's a, good team like i expect them to be in the top six same thing with you know milwaukee and if Giannis takes another step because it seems like he can take another step every year a very large step large stride yes uh you know they could be a little bit better but yeah there's certainly a lot of wiggle room once you get you know there's kind of like the top two and then there's three through six and then there's like the sixers and the pistons and that's not it doesn't mean the sixers are great it means that they're not the knicks and the pacers and the hawks and all those teams yeah just watching them at the end of the preseason. Don't want to take anything from the preseason, especially the NBA preseason, which means nothing. But God, like, just get reminded when JoJo plays, he is so much bigger and better than everybody else, pretty much, that that'll get thrown in front of him. And I mean, like, God, if they could just keep him healthy for 60 games, like, they, they won't make the playoffs by default. Like, they'll be a mid tier seed. Yeah. Well, and just the knock on effect that has on the guys behind him, like, if Amir Johnson had to start 60 games for this team, that's a lot different than Amir Johnson playing backup minutes for the full season. Like he's a good backup big man. Like that's I, he'll do the job. Him and Rashawn Holmes will be they are serviceable big men and will help out the young guys too. Like they're they're proficient in what they need to do. But if you ask them to take on starting roles and like pivotal roles on this team, I that's that's a real thing, and that 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 will derail things a little bit. How many games does JoJo play? Again, I'm I'm going to take a middle ground here, and I'm going to say, let's say somewhere in the forty-five to fifty range, somewhere in there. Let's go forty-seven. Okay. I'm saying fifty. My heart just died a little bit, Rich. <laughs> just I, I lost a little bit of a little bit of my life. Um, you're probably. Again, any any outcome wouldn't surprise me at all. Anyway, I mean, well, eighty-two over, games would surprise me. <laughs> I was going to say anything over sixty games would surprise me quite a bit. But uh, any any outcome from like twenty to fifty-five would not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, I, I'm taking fifty only because that that corresponds with where I have them win wise. I think thirty-nine wins on fifty Embiid games is. You're in the neighborhood. Okay. When does Markel Fultz, and I don't mean like a date, but like how far into the season? 10 games, 20 games, 30 games. When does he make his first start of his NBA career? So, Assuming there's no injury. This is health permitting, we'll say. So I looked at the schedule a little bit. We always do this. I I love these hypotheticals. So after that West Coast road trip, they come back. They have Golden State on Saturday. But before then, they have a Thursday-Friday break when they get back from the West Coast. So they'll get at least one practice there. They'll have probably maybe a practice on Sunday. And then they play Monday, November 20th against the Utah Jazz. So optimistically, I'm going to say that's the game because it's to get – He's gotten his legs under him at that point. He's gone on his first big road trip. They have a few days of practice to sort of ease him into that. I'm sure he's gotten crunch time reps at that point. And then they have 
four straight home games. They play Utah, Portland, Orlando, Cleveland. No, fifth one too against Washington. And that'll be – they're all at home. So he can get used to being the starting guard without having to deal with all the nonsense of traveling. So I think sometime in that stretch from November 20th to the 29th, which is about – What, 20 games? uh, Yeah, somewhere in there, 15 to 20 games in. Should we listen back to our – when is Ben Simmons going to take the floor (laughs) last year? Oh, that was a – I remember it it going to be early January or or is it going to be the Knicks game in mid January or, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this is, I think this is also tied a little bit in a way that I I don't totally agree with, but, but just judging how the Sixers view the situation and specifically how Brett Brown views it. How does Jared Bayless play at at the start? Like, is he, is he the three point variance? Is he knocking down those threes? Because if he is, I bet you, you know, that that he's going to want him in the lineup. And Brown and Colangelo have talked up Bayless the whole summer. So that's going to be part of it, too. In general, like, yeah, it's I would imagine it happens. I would imagine at some point Bayless comes back down to earth. Fultz starts shooting up a little bit from perhaps what could be a rough start. Let's uh, I'll say a little later than Kyle, because. I think uh, I think there's a chance that Bayless could make some shots at the beginning of the year, and, and if that's the case, he's not getting removed from the starting lineup because the hard thing was taking Fultz out. Now, now that he's out, you know, it, you have as much, you know, that that that's the hard thing to break to him. I'll say uh, I'll say at some point in like late January, probably. Oh man, that's uh, a while. That is far. That's what probably right about forty, right about halfway through the season. You know, there's a lot of. A lot at play here. There's obviously Mark Hill's health, and we just talked about how out, you know in the dark we are about his shoulder and whether that's going to be a lingering issue. There's how well Jared Bayless plays. There's potentially showcasing Jared Bayless if you want to move on his contract, and it's a lot easier to move a contract that's playing, especially when it's starting, than when it's getting maybe 15 minutes a night. And then there's also, you know, record and expectations. And and what if what if Fultz is really good on the bench and Brett says, okay, what we want to have that great second unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's how quickly Markel adapts to playing alongside Ben Simmons, and I mean it's never going to be. It's not like if he starts, he's playing with Ben Simmons, and if he doesn't, he's playing without. Like there's always going to be overlap, but it's a little easier to dictate that when he's coming off the bench. And then there's also winning, and with the team starting ten, you know, ten of their first fourteen on the road, with the number of new pieces, if they come out and they're three and ten in their first thirteen games, I can't imagine Brett Brown's going to be like, okay, now's the time to elevate that thir- that nineteen year old point guard and let him run the show. So I kind of side with Rich a little bit. I'm not going to go as late. I'm thinking late December, but I think there's going to be a little buffer here. Where I agree with Rich, the hard part of it was benching Fultz in the first place. Not that you're benching him, but you know, mo- moving. Uh, well, you are benching him. Uh, and there's a convenient excuse right now with the shoulder injury, but I think there's going to be a little more friction to then reinserting back, especially, I mean, it's, and it's tough. If they get off to a great start, they go, okay, I don't want to mess with that. And they get off to a bad start, they're going to go, okay, well, I don't want to go turn to a 19-year-old point guard. So I think it might be a little longer than we expect. I, I hope I hope he regains it quickly, but I'm worried this might end up being a half-season type thing. And, I mean, you know, starting is one thing. I'd like to see him closing games. Yeah. Before, like even for sure, it, it would be cool even if he wasn't, uh, 
you know, if, if they kept him on the bench because he was playing well and they were comfortable with the situation, maybe he meshes well with TJ or something weird like that or Dario. And, and he finds, you know, playing without Simmons, he he has the ball and he, he's comfortable as the primary initiator. I want to see him closing games with Simmons and Embiid. Yeah. And that's something that Brett, like, he was honest about it yesterday. Like, he's like, I got to balance trying to win this year and trying to develop the guys. And, like, I, the answer, I, I'm pretty sure for all of us is like, well, like, look, you got to develop the guys first and then, and then win. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Because yeah, well, and cause coaches, him, coaches think differently. Yeah, than, well, because for us. him, like, realistically, he is he's the scapegoat if this year goes poorly. I think that's and that's not it's not a criticism of him. it's just reading the tea leaves here. Look, like he's been here for a much longer time than most of the players have. And he now finally doesn't have that built-in excuse of, look, they're just they're too young. They have he has two rookie playmakers, but he also has a bunch more veterans. He has guys that are capable players. He has the expectations of the city are you're going to win some games this year. We don't know how many, and a lot of that depends on Embiid. But he has real expectations to deal with this year. And this is the first time that there's ever been a real question of is Brett Brown going to go prioritize development or is he going to prioritize winning? And he's going to tell you he's going to try to do both. But there are going to be real decisions he has to make, especially with, as we've seen, Bayless and Fultz that are inherently tied to maybe his job security and his future here. And it just... So that's, I mean, that's a big, big thing looming over his head and the team's head that it's hard to really put a price on. Isn't that funny? You draft Michael Carter-Williams. He's starting, no questions asked. You draft Markel Fultz. Well, I don't, I don't know if we can afford to start him yet. It's yeah. Circumstance dictates so much, and I agree with you that expectations play a big role in this. And look, if Markel Fultz is playing 20, 25 minutes a night on a consistent basis, he's you know he's got such a big adjustment to play in the NBA right now as it is. That throwing in the Ben Simmons thing, you know, if he only has to adjust to the size and the speed of the NBA, then that, that's still a huge adjustment to make. If you want to say the first third of the season, you're going to play, play primarily off the bench, that can be okay too. Like, as long as he's not buried completely and as long as his shoulder is good to go, which is still a very important part of that, then a, a little bit of, you know, it, it's not usual for a number one pick to come in and not start, but it's also not usual for a number one pick to come in on a team with playoff aspirations and with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons there as well. So It's very strange times here in, uh, well, we're in Camden, but in Philadelphia. All right. Uh, is Joel Embiid's fourth year option picked up in two weeks? It's a tough one. Hmm. I'm going to go, yeah. Oh, did I say Joel Embiid? <laughs> I was like, I what? <laughs> I was sitting here like, <laughs> did I miss the joke? Or okay, okay. <laughs> Try that again. Is Jaleel Okafor's, this is what happens when I don't have this shit written down. Is Jaleel Okafor's fourth year option picked up next year? No. I just don't see it happening. Nope, cap savings. Yeah, the, the and it's as Rich said to me, it's primarily driven by they want to have max space next summer. That is, that's like the the big thing at the forefront of their minds. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, next question: How many injuries do we complain about a lack of transparency with over the course of the season? Well, so we're I already mean, at one. <laughs> 
not counting this one. And I don't mean like how many times we complain about, I mean, unique injuries. So if, you know, this Markel Fultz thing drags out for three months, that doesn't count as, you know, 15 different times we complain about it. What's the over-under set at? Like four and a half? <laughs> Realistically? I actually was going to go I low because I'm trying three, to. but four and a half isn't crazy because. I mean, Fultz, Fultz has three already independent <laughs> that we don't know about or that, that we know about right now. Um, I just. What do you want me to say, man? Like this is just part of what we do now. Like I, like this is part of the course. This is the process. The the process of complaining about injuries and not getting full information on them, and being completely confused and in the dark. Yeah, I like it, the specific number. I, I don't know, but like it, it wouldn't be the Sixers if we weren't doing that at some point. And that wasn't a storyline for at least a couple of days, whether it's in January or or whenever. Yeah, I agree. It's too many. Too many is my answer. I was, I was thinking three, but too many. I think I agree with you on three. That's, um, that feels like a nice round number. Over. Right. Does <laughs> does anybody who, if anybody, will make the uh, an all star roster this year? I think the one Joel is really the only guy with a realistic ish shot. I I don't know that. I mean, even if Ben Simmons came out and like blew the doors off, I just think it's exceedingly hard for a rookie to make the All Star team, as we've seen with, as we saw with Embiid last year. Although his circumstances were uh, a little unique with the games played, but so do you? Uh, on your prediction, do you think he will? I think so. I I think I said he plays fifty games. I think. He will play enough to make the all-star team. And I also just think he will have – because last year there was still the unknown factor. This year he comes in, people know who Joel Embiid is. His his visibility and his presence are a lot different. He's going – they'll be on national TV more. They're, there's just more attention on the Sixers and Embiid because of that. So I will say, yes, he makes it. I'm really not ready to have the same arguments, the Paul Millsap discussion. Oh, on my God. And I, I, th- I think it's coming because I, I don't. Well, it won't be with Paul Millsap. It will not He's be, out west now. It will not be with Paul Millsap, which does open up a spot, theoretically, in the East Front well, wait, Court. They, there they were a still, bunch of spots opened up. Yeah. They still, the number of people are determined by East-West, but the rosters then are not, correct? I haven't actually caught up to the Yeah, changes. so it'll still be the guys from the respective conferences make it. It's just they the get teams, to pick yeah. whatever teams. Yeah. So, so yeah, so a few spots have been opened up. Um, I, I don't think Embiid's going to make it because I, I just think they're going to do the same thing. Again, I, I think he, like if he plays the same amount of time. What, hide a, hide a meniscus there? No, I, I think like – think like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I think voters are just going to penalize him for not playing in as many games despite the fact that like on a per-minute basis, he's maybe the most dominant center in the East. Uh, as far as I, so, I, I don't think anybody's going to make it. If if somebody were to make it, Joel, I will give you a dark horse candidate though, just because the East. If you look at the the number of guards, it's not the best like group. Most of the good guards are out west. JJ, JJ. Redick has a little bit of a shot, and especially if he continues to shoot like he did. If the he preseason. only misses one, if three. he only misses one shot. <laughs> <laughs> for for like hold on he did miss a second one towards the end of that game oh, he missed wow. two so if he continues to shoot 80% i think he's going to make the roster but <laughs> but realistically like i could see him 
sort of the, the narrative with the way coaches vote working in, in his favor because that guy's a good pro. He's been around for a long time. And I think he's going to have a good year shooting threes around these guys. So so he has a chance to. I think JoJo, and I think that's it. I think he does make it this year. I think name recognition is a very big part of that. Um, but I if hope he, so, man. If he plays, like if I have him on track for 57 games, by the time the All-Star break gets here, I think he'll have enough. I do. Um, I think it was really that last little bit that did him in. But All right, we'll have more inevitably wrong predictions in a second, but right now a quick word from Greats, makers of classic, stylish, and comfortable sneakers sold at a great price. Today I attended a practice. I'll do a radio interview later tonight, and tomorrow I'll be covering a game down in D.C. I'll be doing all of those with my fantastic new Wooster slip-ons from Greats, Brooklyn's first sneaker company and makers of the most versatile shoes that I own. With classic styles, exceptional quality, and available at an affordable price and a wide selection of both men's and women's shoes with versatile styles suitable for any occasion. And we've got a special deal for our audience. Save 15% on your first order with our offer code, SixersBeat. Go to greats.com, that's G-R-E-A-T-S dot com, and be sure to enter SixersBeat to save 15% at checkout. Greats believes so much in their shoes they offer a no-risk return and exchange policy to guarantee that you get the right fit in a style you love. That's greats.com and use our code SIXERSBEAT and save 15%. All right, with uh, Covington and Embiid, do either or both make one of the first or second all-defensive teams? This is my one positive prediction. Cubster makes the first team. First team? Yep. So he's beating out one of Draymond or Kawhi. Oh, that's right. They, they like that. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. That was some cold water. <laughs> All right, second team. Uh, this shows the amount of prep I do for these podcasts. Uh, well, I also I, I sprung this question on you guys. I didn't give it to you beforehand. Um, I, I think he will make a team because one, the Sixers are going to be better, and two, like that was a little bit like like him getting the the votes for defensive player of the year last yeah. year. Like people started to take notice, and he's going to get that nice contract this year. It, like my main prediction for this year is people are going to start to realize how good Robert Covington is. Like he's not going to be under the radar after this year. People are going to like recognize him as a three and D player, like a legit guy that there aren't too many of in this league. And he will get enough recognition because the Sixers are going to be pretty good defensively. And he's going to get a lot of credit for it. What about That's- Jojo? <sighs> See, again, I think like the, those year end awards, especially they're really going to hammer you on the games played. Yeah, that we saw that already with like rookie of the year. The whole reason I made a big fuss Nothing about that last year brought. is because yeah, but when you're going up against the likes of in in Bede's case, like Rudy Gobert, guys like Draymond, like guys like that, like it's that's it's re- it's a really tough sell if you only play 50 games to say you deserve it over because it's like. When it's the difference between Joel Embiid and Brogdon, that's it a, that's a, it's an it's an easy call for me. I just I can't give him those sort of honors over guys that play like the full season and are as good as they are. Who was who was second team All Defensive Center last year? Was it DeAndre? Was it? It might have been. Which is I mean just ridiculous. But <laughs> he's a better offensive player than a defensive <laughs> right. player. Uh, Shows you how much rebounds factor into that decision too. I yeah. think he gets a lot of that because of his rebounding. It's crazy, like what what a difference I, I would. No, think. Anthony Davis, I think, was second really? team. Actually, even more ridiculous. Yeah, he's not. Joe's a better defender than him. I right don't now. think they've had a good defense in uh, 
I think they were better Since last year. Since his career started. I think they were maybe like 20th last year, I want to say. But every year before then, they were towards the bottom of the league. And I'm just going completely off of the top of my head. So please correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. second so team was AD, Robertson, Giannis, Danny Green. Danny Green's good. And Tony Allen. Uh, which is not a team I'd ever want to put together. <laughs> but, but they... Uh, I can't really argue with their well, Anthony Davis. You can Anthony Davis. You can. I mean, Embiid is way better defensively than him already, and it's crazy. Like j- just listening to myself and thinking about what voters would see, the difference if the games played column says fifty and sixty with him. I think that would make a massive difference because, yeah. like, yeah, I, I I do think if he does get to sixty plus. Like some of those defensive metrics that are going to get thrown out, like holy crap, they're defending better than the Warriors with. JJ Redick playing heavy minutes and Markel Fultz playing heavy minutes. Yep. Like, I, I do think like if the Sixers can take that step forward, people are really going to start to dig into why they're good, and they're going to realize the answer ninety eight percent of the time is JoJo. Yeah, I looked at it this morning, and I think and the Sixers with Embiid were like a ninety nine point nine defensive rating, and the Warriors with Draymond were a ninety nine one. And I mean that's a that's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate on the best defensive team yeah. in the league, and he's playing like, with Nick Stauskas. They weren't just like six years good; they were league wide good. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think your reasoning is sound. I think Covington has a shot. You know, I think you know Roberson and Giannis aren't insurmountable. I think last year Covington had eleven points, and points because a first place vote is worth more than a second place vote and all that. I think Covington had eleven. And I think Giannis had like thirty something. And then maybe Roberson like fifty something. So he had some ground to cover, and there were a couple of other forwards in between there. Like I know LeBron was in there, a couple other guys that were in there. But if the Sixers win, and if Covington is a little more consistent offensively, and that shouldn't matter, <laughs> but we all will. know it does. It will though. Yeah. That's a good point. Then I think he has a shot, but I'm going to say no on both, and I think they both deserve it. But you brought up the thing that I was going to say, which is. The winning part of it is like it's this stuff. The reason a lot of these guys get considered is because they're on better teams. And I'm actually curious in uh, Roberson's case in particular because that defense will almost certainly get worse with Carmelo Anthony playing a huge role there. And my assumption is Roberson will take some of that blame in terms of if their defense get worse. He's the defense, one of the defensive cogs that they're judging. Right. Even if it's not his fault, that will fall on him. Now, if if the Sixers rise, like we expect them to, if everything goes right, Covington and Embiid will be the two primary beneficiaries. And so I think I agree. I think Covington makes it. I don't think Embiid will because I don't think he's going to play enough games. In a weird way, if Embiid plays, you know, a reasonably high number of games, fifty-five to sixty games, it'll help. Covington's chances yes. more than it will Embiid's because they'll win, but Embiid still won't play enough games where people will willingly vote for him on those end-of-year awards, which, like Kyle said, I think are going to be more difficult for him than a, an all-star. Hey, man, if he plays, you know, even 50 games, like, we could be having the podcast in March, like, you know, we don't think he's going to get voted for this, but you could argue Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. there's, I, I'm totally prepared for that. All right, let's move on to per-game averages. We'll start off with JoJo because those are the most cartoonish video game numbers we can come up with. What does JoJo average for the season? I want to just go with the cop-out answer and say 20 and 10, 
Because that's be very just like those are the, the yeah. I think that I think the rebounding will be a little bit lower than that. So I'll say I'll say twenty. I'll go eight and a half rebounds, and then I will say he's going to get two blocks a game. How many minutes? That's a tough one. Even JoJo doesn't know this one. Yeah. Um, I guess mid to high 20s, we'll say 27 by the end of it. Because, I mean, it's so it'll be depreciated at the beginning of the year. I just feel like he'll get up to around the like low 30s, like 32 maybe by the end of it. If there's ever a month where Joe averages over 30 minutes a game, I will be mildly surprised. Listen. I don't think it's impossible, but it just seems like they're going to be so freaking cautious. I don't like going into game. a season pessimistic, so I'm trying to. So I'll say 27 for the year will be my guess. So 28 and a half, two blocks, 27 minutes a game. By 28 and a half, you mean 20 points, eight and, eight and, half. and a half. Rebounds. I was going to say if you think he's yeah. averaging 28 and a no, half points, no, no, that would be no, one no. hell of a season. No, but I think those are all fairly realistic goals for him. Just looking at last year's stats, I, I don't think like the the raw totals are going to jump up too much because, like you said, they're already fucking cartoonish. Like they're already ridiculous. Like what is he going to average? You know, forty points per thirty six. But like it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, so I, I think yeah, right. He played twenty five point four minutes per game last year, which is actually higher than yeah I would have thought. I you know he was under less of a restriction by the end of it. Um, yeah, I'll say 20. Let's bump that up to nine. And, and the jump that he'll make is not, I mean, then, yeah, like two blocks is about out good. A couple areas I think he'll make jumps where he'll become a better player. Efficiency. Three-point shooting, I'm not sure that's going to get much better. But he only shot 49% from two last year. That that can jump up a little bit. Like, he's going to be smarter in the shots the he takes. The amount he gets to the line will help him there, too. Absolutely. And the other area where I see him making a big jump, his assist to turnover is going to get a lot better. And whether that it just means like I, I'm not sure that it's going to mean a lot of like more primary assists. Like he averaged I think it's two point one to three point eight per game last year, and that turnover number is inflated because at the beginning of the year he was just running through people. Like that he's clearly past that point. Yeah. But I do think like the Sixers' offense is going to get a lot better because God, we we only watched a couple minutes in that preseason game. In the second half of that game, he was like, guess what? I'm going to pass now. Like, I'm not even going to try and shoot. I'm going to make a nice pass out of the Running double. Running that high-low with Simmons. Yeah. Like, that sort of stuff is great. throw it over the top to Simmons. I'm going to post up and hit Bayless for a wide-open three. His understanding of the game is going to get better. So, yeah, that, that's like my general thought. Like, 20, 9, say 2, and like 2.5 assists. But the efficiency stuff's all going to get better, and that's where he's going to improve. You do make a good point because if you say, okay, he's going to play around the same number of minutes, 25, 27, 28, whatever that ends up being, projecting more points for him feels ridiculous because he scored at such a high rate, a high per minute rate that at some point, like there's just, you can't, you can't expect that much improvement. Well, the other team's got to get the ball for right, a little bit. Like, right. Yeah. And he'll have the ball less with Ben yeah. and Markell. I the, do agree. He mix. should be more efficient by not having to create you know, what, what, 40-something percent of his possessions were post-ups. That's absurd. That shouldn't be that way. This season, that should cut down on his turnovers. That should increase his two-point efficiency. 
in a weird, it might also improve his chance to get the line too, because if he's on the move, he's a you know he's a seven two two hundred and eighty plus pound human being that hopefully eventually becomes two hundred seventy five pound plus human being. Uh, but he is going to be tough to stop. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go twenty two. I'm still gonna go about seven point eight rebounds. I'm not sure he's gonna. Uh, I hope he bumps that up. But with a guy like Simmons on the court with him, I wonder if they're gonna be fighting for some of those same gimme rebounds. And then you know right about. Two two and a half, two point eight blocks per game, something in that area. But to me, I, I agree with Rich. It's shooting percentage and it's turnovers, and get those down. And and that that's where I want to see the improvement more than raw numbers. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there. All right, Ben Simmons. Okay, so this one I had in my head. I don't know why it just sounds right to me. Sixteen, six, and six. Ooh. <laughs> I almost feel like talking Simmons totals though without talking about efficiency is really yeah, going to miss a so lot. The one big concern, I know everyone was talking about the finishing. His free throw percentage in preseason was god awful. He shot like 41% from the line. And, and we didn't we didn't even notice it because he wasn't shooting it like a goddamn shot put. Right. And that to me is I have already said I don't care if he shoots jumpers this year. I, he will be fine, and he'll. I care long term whether he's able to shoot, just be a passable shooter. But if he doesn't make free throws, he is in big, big trouble. So he needs to be. The coaching staff has said seventy percent. I would be happy if he was 70. at yeah. <laughs> I would be happy if he was at sixty-five percent. If, if he, he could get to sixty-five, seventy percent, yeah. I'd be happy. Not this year. If he could get to sixty-five percent at the line, I think you're you're sitting pretty. Um, I think the finishing that is going to be very dependent on, weirdly enough, on Embiid because I think and just some of the other lineup configurations they'll run. Like I think. When Dario plays that small ball center, Simmons' finishing will look a lot better than it does when Okafor is on the court or even Amir Johnson. I just think that having that shooter at the five to drag the the big the opposing big man out of the paint will make a huge difference for him because for sure. every team is going to sag. It's just a matter of what the Sixers can do with their lineup configurations to offset that. Yeah, I mean, we saw that in the last preseason game, in the second half of the last preseason game, yeah. when Embiid's you know fifteen minute run was done, um, he can get by his initial defender. It's really how much help is then behind that, and playing Sharch there definitely helped. It also helped layups on the other end of the court, but a lot of trade offs with this lineup. I I think I went a little too high by the way. I'm going to go fifteen points, but even that feels like a little more ambitious than a lot of people are saying. I was pleasantly surprised by that Sarge Simmons lineup. Again, it's preseason, so you don't know. But it like, looked really good. Yeah, offensively it looked good. Like it, it's weird that the Sixers now have a lineup where they're going to say we're going to try and outscore you, and they they have a legitimate claim to be able to do that. We'll see how Dario holds up as a five. Uh, you know, he he did well against Mozgov and the Heat's bigs, but you know, we'll see. As far as Simmons goes, yeah, I think you're sixteen. Um, eh, I think it's going to be more in the. 12 to 13 range maybe like it's i just don't think he's necessarily he's not a natural scorer at this point like the finishing at the rim it's it's a problem because like on the one hand he's got this this tendency to go back to his right hand and on the other hand if he goes to the line he's not making the free throws so like that that's gonna limit what he can do that said his passing is really good 
and, and I'll, I'll be a little more ambitious than you. I'll get like 13, 8, and then let's say 6 for, for the uh, the rebounds too. He's definitely going to take some away from Embiid. And I, I think it would be smart for Embiid to give some of those up. Oh, yeah. Because that's when Simmons is going to be at his best. Yep. Um, you know, it was, it was funny. You, you mentioned his, his finishing and his right hand and all that stuff. You know, we were, who were not in Long Island on that game were watching, and Ben Simmons had that kind of 14-foot shot put nonsense where it looked like he started off thinking, oh. I'm going to shoot a floater, <laughs> and then he went, okay, I'm going to switch to a shooter or a jump a, shot. Didn't look good live either. Well, and then you came back and you you tweeted about it, and you're like, holy shit, what happened here? And it was just funny the delay because I rewound that shot like 14 times trying to figure out what was going through his head. The benefit of uh, of not sitting in, in shitty press up. I don't want to complain about getting free seats to take a, a, a game, but our vantage point is not always the best. I don't know how it was in the Nassau Coliseum, but it, it, it was pretty good. It was, uh, I don't know. I guess I had other things on, on my mind, but that was, it was very yucky in person too. Like it was not, <laughs> it was not something that I enjoyed watching as far as his jump shooting goes. Like I, I would like him to shoot more jumpers just as like Kyle said, just to try it out. You know what I would like though? Like, how about like a few less fadeaways? Like how about yeah. you like if just you just go straight if up? If you get a guy on his on on his heels, yeah, and he's falling backwards, rise up and shoot a regular shot, man. It feels like it kind of looks like sometimes he doesn't care. Like, I, and it's not that he doesn't care, but it's just like, oh, I'm gonna shoot this one. Let's step back and fire it up. It looks like he's kind of like warming up. And he's LeBron a shot like that when he came into the league too. Yeah. It was like a very weird just. So may, hopefully his jumper makes the progress that LeBron's did. That hey, ben, would be like, wonderful. And, and, you know, knock yourself out. Like, sometimes if, if you have a catch-and-shoot opportunity, go Just for it, do dude. It. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's going to judge him for missing shots. People want to see him take them and to improve. It's like every, the ba- we know the baseline is bad, that he's not a good shooter. But you're not going to get any better by not attempting any. No, I mean, for somebody who projects so, so much confidence off the court and in interviews – you can very clearly tell he has no confidence in that jumper. And I, I wonder if maybe the way he finishes, finishes, you know, I don't want to say it's finesse, but sometimes he does, you know, lean back, avoid contact, try to get a floater off instead. You wonder whether or not the concern about his free throw creeps in there as well. He needs to be able to be confident taking that shot for sure. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm second in 13 point range, uh, and then I'll probably go about six and six. You know, I just think there's, enough ball handlers outside where he's not going to reach the top level of assists he's capable of uh, from Dario to Markel to even a little Jared Bayless and even cut there. Reddick can make a couple of passes here and there. And obviously Embiid, who's going to still create a lot in the post. But I think, I think that's probably where I'm thinking the key to me is, you know, what's his free throw percentage, which is, you know, half court field goal percentage. Those are what I'm going to be focused on. I don't, I think there's going to be times where he gets, you know, shots at the rim where he can finish and where he's not really contested. There's going to be times even maybe where, where his floater game is going to be on where he's going to willingly get to the line and make a couple shots. But I think there's going to be prolonged stretches where half-court offense is going to be a struggle. I, yeah, and I, I just would like to see in general, like I, I'm not worried about his percentages because guess what? Like they're going to be bad. Like He's not going to yeah. be an efficient scorer, at least initially. Um, I, h- How do you go about it? H- how do you go about trying to finish at the rim? Are you... Are you making adjustments like, you know, as you said, you can get by the initial defender, but, you know, switching back to your right hand, are you trying to finish with your left hand? Are you working on a floater and not like faking it like he did the other night and, and then shot putting it at the rim? Like, like, can we see progression in terms of him thinking out the game? Because like, 
when you watch him pass, like he's a really cerebral, smart player. But can you apply that to the scoring end too? And that's that's what I want to see. What in the hell is Markel Fultz going to average this year? I see. I don't even have a baseline for this because we have nothing to. We've seen him play against backups in the preseason and summer league guys. That's really it. Like even the Memphis game where he started, pretty much their entire, or at least the important guys from Memphis, none of them played. So there's there's nothing. I don't even know where to start. What do we think about a minutes per game? Let's go with that first. This is a great podcast. We're all sitting here thinking. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. T- tell me how well Bayless plays. Tell me how well the team's doing at the beginning of the season. Tell me whether Brett Brown is feeling heat for his job security. I don't. Tell me how the shoulder is. Uh, 20, 27. And I think it's going to be low at the beginning, like 22 in the first half. And then maybe they make a move and he's playing 30 minutes a night to end it. That would be okay by me. I'd be okay yeah, with that. That's I'd fine. Be. And I think the the thing with Markel is he's not he's not going to have the low basement that Joel has to start the year. Like I, from the read that we've gotten from Brett, it's very much so that they just don't want to throw him into the fire as a starter, and he's still going to get plenty of minutes and opportunities as long as he is healthy enough to go. So I I think in that twenty seven range is probably. That's probably where it's going to be. I don't. I don't have anything concrete. <laughs> like, it, I mean, the amount of points he scores. Like, I. I mean, is he going to take any jumpers? Like, I. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. It's will his shoulder fall out of its socket? Yeah, and, like, and and even with the minutes played, like games played is again. I have no idea either. Too is he a guy that's just going to miss two weeks every two months? Like, I, I don't know whether it's going to be the sustained thing. The, the scenario Derek laid out where they, they bring him along slowly, 23 minutes a game, and then by the end of the year he's playing better and getting legitimate starters minutes, that would be wonderful. And that would be sort of the best-case scenario for me. We'll see if uh, we'll see if the, the outside factors and he are both up to uh, making that happen. All right, I'm I'm going to completely punt on that as as you guys did. I have no no sense or gauge for points or assists or rebounds, and really the the minutes were kind of like what I was hoping would happen anyway. So let's let's move on to JJ Redick. I actually was going to say I do have one bold prediction. I think this will be the first season of Redick's career he makes at least three threes a game. He's never done it before. Really. Well, he was probably in the mid to high twos, though, right? 2.7, I believe, is his career high. And so the reasoning behind this is most of his minutes will be spent playing alongside at least one other shooter, which really wasn't the case in L.A. He's, Chris Paul can shoot. It, it like is a shooter, but he's dominating the ball. It's not He's not an off-ball threat that's going to draw attention like, say, a Covington would, or Bayless is playing off the ball. And I think the quality of looks Redick will get will be very high in addition to that. And I think that he can make three threes a game. I think he's going to have the opportunity. Really, what he's going to do is just live in those corners and coming off those screens. And they he is such an integral part of what they're going to do that I just think he gets there. I think he's going to... 
I don't know what the percentages will look like, but I think he's going to make three threes a game. Well, if there's one guy who you can pencil in for 40% from three, he, he's been that guy over the last three to four years. Yeah. Points? 14? I'm going higher than that. Uh, I think he's the second leading scorer on the team. You know, obviously JoJo's going to get his, but... Man, I'm thinking like 17, 18. Like, I, I think he's I just. I thought gonna, about going that way too. He's it's, just, he's just going to pump threes, man. Yeah. Well, especially at an 80% clip like that. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, God, <laughs> he's going to average 30 a game. Uh, but yeah, living, you know, running off those screens. Brett already has plays, special plays that sort of are, uh, not part of the Sixers base offense to get JJ going. These sort of stagger misdirection type plays, which is good. Simmons in transition. He's going to be looking. That's his first read every time. That's such a key part. They have not had somebody who can get them open three-point shots in transition. Yep. I think Covington and, and Redick are going to benefit from that. Yep. Can can he find Redick for the pitch back or, or hit him in the corner? That, that'll that be a big deal. I'm thinking like 17 points, and I, I think he's going to pump a lot of threes. So, you know, not 45% for three, but like, you know, 41, 42 yeah, I, I was I was thinking sixteen or seventeen and and forty two forty three percent from three. I think that was kind of my uh, my thought process as well. Um, all right, last one, Covington. Not going to ask her for a full stat line. Over under thirty seven percent from three. I'll say under. I think what is he career thirty six? I'll say under, but I think he'll be much closer to thirty seven than he was to than he'll be to what he I think he shot thirty three percent from three last year. I he'll be much closer to thirty seven than he will thirty three. Under and and a word of advice to Cuff. If you shoot thirty five percent, that's okay. But don't save them all for the second half of the season. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go over. I don't wow. think that's a logical thing to do. But I'm hoping he comes out of the gate. All he has to do is not shoot 28% in the first month and a half, and he's, he's got it. He's pretty capable of that. Though, he man. is capable of that. Uh, I'm hoping the Simmons effect helps Robert a lot. I'm hoping the fact that he can maybe get some corner threes helps him a lot, although he didn't hit him last year. He barely got any, but he didn't hit him when he did have him. I'm going to go over. I think it would be just over. I think we're talking... 37. 36 to 37.5% <laughs> is the realistically realistic positive outcome. But uh, I'm certainly not saying 40%. Although, Lord knows he's capable. That rookie, right. Not his rookie season because he played with the Rockets, but that first season with the Sixers, he was capable. It's uh, A lot of it's going to come down to open shots and shot selection too. I saw you wrote about it in the preview, how few of his shots come from the corner. Yeah, 8% of his threes. Yeah. And Which is about 8% of his shots because he doesn't shoot anything else. The the problem with that that I see with that is I, I think he will get a few more of those in the corner, you know, just in transition and other opportunities, but he's going to be playing the four as the Sixers in the Sixers base lineup. And he might get open threes, but I, I, I'd i love to see him find a way to scrape a few more of those in there, but they're going to have Redick and Bayless over there most of the time. I mean, I, I, most of those that I would project would be in transition. Like I think him sprinting down the court, Simmons finding him. I mean, he's gotten, I think, four or five attempts in the preseason already that would it would be great to see that continue because i mean the sixers you know they were i think last year seventh in three-point attempts in terms of of percentage of their offense but i think they were like 27th in corner threes which i mean easiest way for a corner three is to get a real high level pick and roll threat or a guy who can really break down defense it's obviously not what they've had the last few years 
I hope Simmons will will have a, a real impact in that regard. Yeah. Um, and again, I think the same re- same justification I use for Redick. I think Covington playing with more shooters yeah. will benefit him because he's they don't they won't just all crash on Covington shot. They still have to stay home and worry about Redick Bayless and. And I mean, if if other teams are scared to put their four man defensively on Simmons, and they're putting their three on him because you know they can keep up with him a little better Speed on the perimeter. Wise, yeah. You know, if Covington now has a four closing out on him, that's going to buy him an extra second. Yeah. And that extra second could be the difference between a made shot and a missed shot. Yeah, I mean he's he's going to play the four offensively, but you know, for all intents and purposes, he's the three. Ben's going to be guarding mostly fours. Man, uh, Covington and Redick as a wing combo—that's pretty good. Yeah, like that. That's a playoff caliber win combo for sure. And the talent level and the, the fit and the mesh that the this skill sets that they have is as people start flooding in outside right now. I guess <laughs> it's time to wrap this up. The uh, the Sixers are in pretty good shape there. I think. Also, the fact that we're an hour and ten minutes into this means it's probably time to wrap that up. I it's actually a season preview, man. I don't think I have anything else. Any other off the wall? Since I threw a couple in there that I didn't give you time to prepare for, you can. Throw a couple out there if you want them to. But. No, my JJ one was my only real quote-unquote bold one. This is a stupid one. I think Dario's going to have a 40-point game at one hmm. point this year. They, they're going to play the small ball five, and he's just going to The Sixers fire. death lineup. Yep. One of the games where Embiid misses, and and they're just sick of playing Okafor. Yeah, I could see it happening. I could see it happening. Uh, I mean, he caught fire in that one preseason yeah, game did. from three. If he has a game like that where he where plays like, like a, a full, player, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know what his high was. Probably, I mean, he's probably pretty close to thirty in some yeah, of those. I was going to say high twenty. Some of those games. I mean, he was <laughs> he was like the number one option, number one, two, and three options basically <laughs> down the stretch last year. All right, sounds good. We have Rich and I will be down in Washington tomorrow. Season kicks off. Maybe Washington today, depending on on uh, on when I get a chance to post this, uh, because Kyle and I will be on our way to WIP. We're doing a an hour long radio spot every Tuesday, so check that out. It will be nine o'clock today again if I have the time to get this out before we have to go there. If not, it will it'll be somewhere around that next week. But thanks for jumping on. We'll talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.